Welcome to the Craft of Shadows podcast, based on the novel The Jewel of Nineveh by Dewish Basiti. Discover new content and subscribe to receive updates at craftofshadows.com. Now, on with the show. Chapter 17 Bad Memories The tavern was starting to fill up as people ended their working day. It was a disreputable area that the city guard avoided where possible, and certainly after dark. The burble and chatter and outbursts of laughter, mixed with the clattering of bottles and tankards and glasses. The sharp musky tang of opium pipes wafted through the smoke gathering in the roof. Hatra watched Manu lounge on a bench, one foot on the armrest, the other trailing to the ground. He'd taken a booth beside the back door, from where he watched everyone coming and going through the main entrance. The rear corner of the tavern was far from the windows, and he rested in the shadows with his hood up. Hatra had pulled a chair beside him, and Jum was seated cross-legged under the table, grumbling at his mug of milk, but keeping quiet in case Manu threw him out of the bar. I don't see why I can't have a beer. A lithe and sinuous girl danced for money, twisting and turning in time to the music, her hips swaying and her bare arms raised. She danced between the patrons at their tables and swirled her perfumed ribbons over the men's faces. Her eyelashes fluttered as she accepted coins from the men she entertained. The silks she barely wore were cut away in long slashes, her belly exposed and her gyrations in Manu as readily as the wine warmed his mood. Hatta snapped her fingers in front of his dreamy eyes and he blinked and coughed, turned to her with a smile. What a fetching dress that fat girl has on. I was just thinking how fine it would look on you. You can keep on dreaming, Hatra glared at the dancing girl, wondering how long she would last in a knife fight, and wishing at the same time she owned something a bit more attractive than the simple shift she now wore. The girl was a bit plump, she decided. Maybe Manu did think she was fat. She filled up his glass. Hatra moved from her chair to sit beside him, her skirt falling away to the knee as she swung her slim legs over his. Tell me a story, Manu. What is your homeland like? Oh, I'm not much of a storyteller. My homeland is far away and cold. I left it and came here. The end. She tugged back the side of his cowl and kissed him on the neck. She ran her fingers through his hair and stroked a lock away from his eye. From beneath the table came the choking of someone fighting the desire to throw up. Then tell me about yourself. I saw you work with a blade when you were training Jum. It is unnatural for someone as young as you. 
Tell me, Manu, what makes you so good? Manu's smile faded, and his face receded further into the shadows of his hood, until only his downturned lips were visible. I've been beaten, stabbed, and poisoned so many times that I've lost count, and that was just by people I had called teacher. Do you believe that which does not kill you only makes you stronger? There are unhappy memories here, painful ones too. You may not like me too much after you hear them. The child was shivering violently, but the icy wind howling was louder than his whimpering. He bit his lip tightly to keep quiet. The soldiers had come just a day ago, marching men and war wagons up from the plains below his mountain home. There had been no warning, no parleys for peace, and the town was unprepared for the brutal assault. The village's warriors died on the first day. Every one of them fell. The village was famed for miles around as the birthplace of the strongest men with the bravest hearts. Each one went down fighting ten men around him. But for each of the soldiers they slew, another stepped up to take their place. The warriors of the village were covered with wounds, and though the fields ran red with the blood of their enemies, more came at them, unrelenting, again and again in waves, until one by one they fell. The enemy kept advancing. They overran the village and set fire to the buildings, poisoned the wells and torched the harvest. The women fought back and were hacked down in front of their children. Even then the enemy did not stop. They slew the children and fed the remains to their warhounds. They searched the village for any survivors, and only when they found none did they move on. The lone survivor, just a boy, crawled from the ruins of his home when the army departed. He wept over the corpses of his mother and sister, then left the burning wreckage of what had once been his home and stumbled along the road down from the mountains in the direction that the attackers had come from, terrified to follow them in case they saw him. He found village after village destroyed and scoured the charred ruins in search of the smallest scraps of food. He grew gaunt and pale and weaker by the day. Winter had come early and he knew he would die, alone and outside. In one village, he found another child, older than himself. The boy tried to befriend him, but it was cold and the older child wanted the boy's cloak. The boy fought back desperately and it ended when he throttled the mewing life out of the child who had attacked him. A town at the base of the mountains survived 
the boy did not understand the politics that spared one town but not his village, nor all the others he had seen devastated. But he hurried to the town, seeking shelter from the snow that was coming down all around him. He trusted no one and hid in barns and in barrels and climbed on roofs and through sewers. He slept during the day and went abroad only under the veil of night to steal food from the full larders of the fat townsfolk. In his isolation, his dreams were only of standing above the corpses of his family and hiding from the searching army. He began to see things move in shadows, but his senses told him nothing was there. He was slowly losing his mind. One night, as he crept out to burgle a placid farmer's house to quell the growling in his belly, he felt someone was watching, though no one was there. Driving himself forward, knowing his sanity was weak, he sneaked into the house and out again with some bread, returning to his hiding nook before devouring it. A shadow fell upon him and he turned to flee, dropping the loaf in the snow. But an iron grip held him and a figure, cloaked and hooded in black, lifted him to eye level and fixed him with a stare. The boy struggled fiercely but refused to break from the stranger's gaze. At length the man smiled. I see something in your eyes that is very much like my own. Come with me and I will teach you the proper art of the craft of shadows. You have proven yourself unnatural to our ways. Let me show you how you may become the greatest thief in the world. The boy travelled with the black-cloaked man for many years. The man was true to his word, and day by day he taught the boy every nuance of every trick he knew. The boy grew strong and fast and bold. His confidence returned, and he put the tragedy of his childhood behind him. He learned new ways to walk and run and leap. He thought in new ways, learning strategy and scheming. He learnt about people, their loves and motivations, how to control them with words or with promises or with threats and intimidation. He travelled to distant lands where he learned a thousand ways to kill a man with his bare hands and became the master of every blade or spike or pole. He learned, most importantly, to depend only on himself and to let no man tell him what he could or could not have. Master and student spent weeks apart as each pursued contracts and adventures but they would always meet to share tales and each other's companionship, for no two other men in the world were as alike as they were. 
Eventually, the day came when their friendship ended. And since then, the boy travelled alone. What happened next? Hatra wriggled in his lap and squeezed his arm tightly. That's all I will say. Manu brooded under his hood, his fingers clenched and unclenched around his empty glass. Ah, pour me some more wine. Who was the man in black? Manu looked at her and she recoiled at the loathing on his face. People call themselves many things. Not all are true. Some are half-truths, and those are the hardest to understand. What did he say? He called himself Zarbanus. The god of thieves? Hatra stiffened on Manu's knee and stared at him. Aye, the same. Many scoundrels have tried that trick before. And many more scoundrels have claimed to meet him and be trained by him. Is that what you are saying? It seems to me that my master was not the only thief who liked to claim fancy titles for themselves. Manu raised an eyebrow to Hatra. No, Manu, I believe your story, sad as it is. He sighed and put down his glass turning his face away from her and resting his chin on his fist. It doesn't matter if he was Zarbanus or just another fraud. I learned what I needed to stay alive and a chance to escape. After that, I didn't need him anymore. It may not have been the life I wanted, but I survived. You wanted a different life? I find it hard to imagine you as a baker or a farmer. Hatra watched Manu as he stared at the table and scratched at a stain with his fingernail. Who knows what I would have been. That man took a child and grew a professional thief and assassin from that seed. I'll never know how my life would have gone if another had found me or if I'd survived on my own. You are sitting with two others who were orphaned and grew up on the streets. We are not so rare, with all the wars ravaging the world. I wanted to stay ahead of any conflict. I had no home to protect, no reason to stay if armies loomed on the horizon. I just came here seeking to escape. But now I find myself trapped again. And it was my hand that delivered the first stroke of war. You want to leave? Manu shrugged. That is my first thought, yes. But I've been running too long. I'll stand by our agreement and see this through with you. Telling your story seems to have soured your mood considerably. Manu grunted and looked away. Hatra gazed at his silhouette, drawing in her mind the line down his forehead, the angular dash of his nose, the curve of his lips. 
She stood up and pulled on his arm. Come on, get up. Let's pay for a room and we'll see what I can do to improve your evening. Hatra tugged his wrist, leaning him forward, but he slumped back when she loosened her grip. She kicked him in the shin and he grunted, reaching out to grab her, but she turned around and his hand landed on her rump. She wiggled her hips and he burst out laughing. I give up. He took her hand and she led him upstairs. A few minutes after they had passed from sight, a snort came from under the table and small brown fingers reached up and carefully manoeuvred the wine bottle out of sight. A good measure remained. Jum put the mouth of the bottle to his lips, took a swig, and immediately started coughing. He wondered why anyone would want to drink something so foul, and he wondered about his master's past, and how much of the story he had held back. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Craft of Shadows podcast. More details at craftofshadows.com. Copyright 2020, Dewish Pasiti and Vinkto Publishing. Title music by Turku, Nomads of the Silk Road, at turkumusic.com.